Podcastle, episode 333, for October 15th, 2014. Argent Blood, by Joe L. Hensley. Rated R contains, well, blood. What can I say? We're in the middle of October here, people. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle, where we traditionally take you into a not-so-traditional realm of fantasy every week. I'm your host and co-editor, Dave Thompson, and so we find ourselves in the middle of October. Usually, Anishwind and I like to delve into some of the spookier things this time of year, this week's story being no exception, and I think we achieved that last week. We'll be achieving it for the rest of the month, too. We've got classics, we've got contemporary things, we've got candy corn. Somewhere, I hope. Even pumpkin ale, which I'm still not sure is a good idea. Oh well. Our story this week is Argent Blood by Joel Hinsley, originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction way back in 1967. It was reprinted a bunch of times after that, and special thanks go to Sean Garrett and Alex Hoflick from Pseudopod for turning us on to this one. Joel Hensley was a lawyer, prosecuting attorney, member of the Indiana General Assembly, circuit court judge, science fiction fan, and author of Science Fiction and Mysteries. He was a longtime resident of Madison, Indiana, and died there of complications of leukemia in 2007. He wrote over 20 novels and short story collections, and over 100 short stories. Our reader this week is Joe Scalora. Joe's a marketing manager at Delray Books and an aspiring voice actor. He's read for Pseudopod and also for the Clark Ashton Smith podcast. I'm happy to say we should have another piece of flash fiction coming with his voice in it very soon. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Scalora. So, check the labels on your medicine. Make sure you take your pills in a timely fashion and do enjoy the story. Argent Blood by Joe L. Hensley. April 13. Today I made a discovery. I was allowed to look in the mirror in Dr. Mesh's office. I'm about 40 years old, judging from my face and hair. I failed to recognize me, and by this I mean there is apparently no correlation between what I saw of me in the mirror and this trick memory of mine. But it's good to see one's face, although my own appears ordinary enough. I must admit to more interest in the pretty bottles on Dr. Mesh's shelves than my face. Somewhere in dreams I remember bottles like those. I wanted the bottles so badly that a whirling came in my head. But I didn't try to take them, as I suspected that Dr. Mesh was watching closely. Dr. Mesh said, You're improving. Soon we'll give you run of our little hospital and grounds, except, of course, the disturbed room." He pinched me on the arm playfully. Have to keep you healthy. I nodded and was delighted, and the sickness inside went away. Then I could take my eyes off the shelves of bottles. Nice ones, full of good poisons. Some that I recognized vaguely. Others that struck 110 chord. There would be another time. Later I went back into the small ward, my home. The only one I really remember. Miss Utz smiled at me from her desk, and I lay on my bed and watched her. She has strange, 
bottomless eyes. When I see her, the longing to be normal again is strongest, but the disturbances recur. My ward is done in calm colors. The whole effect is so terrific. I'm sure I never slept so much or dreamed so much. Bottles. Bottles. The food is good, and I eat a great deal. My weight seems to remain fairly constant, decreasing when I'm disturbed, coming back to normal when released. My fellow patients are not so well off. Most of them are very old and either idiotic or comatose. Only the man with the beard is rational enough to talk to sometimes. The bearded man saw me watching him. Pet! he yelled at me. He makes me very angry sometimes. He's always saying that to me when he's disturbed. I wonder what he means. I shall quit writing for the day. Dr. Mesh says it's good to keep a diary, but I'm afraid someone will read this. That would anger me. An extreme anger brings zero-one-one disturbances. I'm sleepy now. April 18. I've got to stop this sort of thing. I tried again with the bearded man, but he won't drink water that he hasn't freshly drawn. I think he suspected that I'd done something, because he watched me malevolently for a long time. I came out of the disturbed room yesterday, sick and weak, remembering nothing of that time. No one seems to have found the bottle I hid the day I became disturbed, a bottle empty now down to the skull and crossbones, but to no purpose except the bearded man's anger. I wonder why Dr. Mesh angers me so, and Miss Utz. I guess it must be because they move and talk and exist. The old ones who don't move and talk to me don't anger me. Only the bearded man and Dr. Mesh and Miss Utz. But nothing seems to work on the doctor or Miss Utz, and the bearded man is very careful. Today, at mid-morning, Miss Utz helped me down to the solarium, and I sat there for a while. Outside, the flowers had begun to bloom, and some minute purple and green creepers are folding their way over the walls around this tiny asylum. They look very good and poisonous. My neck itched, and I scratched at the places until they bled, and Miss Utz laughed her cold laugh and put antiseptic on my neck. She told me that this is a private asylum run on private funds, taking no patients but hopeless ones that have been confined elsewhere for years before transfer here. If that is completely so, then why am I here? In the afternoon, Dr. Mesh tested my reflexes and listened to my heart, he says I'm in good physical condition. He seemed happy about that. He was evasive when I asked him if I'd ever be well, and that made me angry. I managed to hide all outward signs of my feeling. When I was back in the ward and Miss Utz was temporarily out of sight, the feel of the poison bottle comforted me. April 30. The dreams are growing worse, so clear and real. I dreamed I was in Dr. Mesh's office. I could see the pretty bottles on the shelves. Miss Utz and Dr. Mesh were reading my diary and laughing. The bearded man kept screaming at me from far away. The dream was very real, but my eyes would not open. This morning the bearded man is watching me from his bed. 
He looks very weak, but he had a disturbance this week. Being disturbed is very hard on one, Dr. Mesh once told me. I was in Dr. Mesh's office for a while earlier and got to look in the mirror. I did not recognize me again. Sometimes I feel as if my head had been cut open, the contents scrambled and then recapped. There is no pain, but there is no place to search for things. A little while ago I tried something from the new bottle that I'd taken from Dr. Mesh's office. It didn't work. Nothing works, even though I saw Miss Utz drink some of the water. May 2. I shall have to hide this diary. I'm almost sure they are reading it. They brought the bearded man back from disturbed today. His eyes are red and sunken, and he kept watching me all morning. When Miss Utz left the ward, he beckoned me over with an insistent finger. He said nothing. Instead, he lifted his beard away and pointed at his throat. I looked at it, but could see nothing but some small red marks, as if he'd cut himself with his fingernails. He pulled one of the cuts open with hands that shook, and a tiny driblet of blood pulsed out. He laughed. I looked away, the blood making me feel ill. The corner of one of the pages in this diary is torn. I didn't tear it. May 3. I talked to the bearded man today, if talk can describe the conversation we had. He's insistent. He said I can't know when they feed on me, as I'm in some sort of seizure, and that I'm their pet because I'm young and strong. He made me check my neck, and there are red marks on it. He said they let me steal the poisons because they know I can't harm them. He told me I killed three people outside, poisoned them. He says I was a pharmacist outside, but now I'm incurably insane and can't ever be released. He said I was in a state hospital for years before I came here. I don't remember it. He claims that Dr. Mesh and Miss Utz are vampires. I went back to my bed when he let me get away and spent a fairly restful afternoon. I dreamed of bottles on the shelf and something came to me in the dream. A thing all perfect like myself. The bearded man says that we could kill them with silver bullets, but the thought of a gun is abhorrent to me. I've never really believed in that sort of thing, but what if the bearded man is right? What if Dr. Mesh and Miss Utz are vampires? This place would be perfect for them. No investigation of death. No legal troubles. Patients forgotten years ago. Take only the incurables, the forgotten. A regular supply. But the plan, so intricate and perfect. I will have to have the bearded man's help. He will have to steal the things I want. If they are watching me, laughing when I steal from them, it would be too risky for me to take it. May 4. We began the plan today. The bearded man managed to steal the large bottle of saline solution and the tube and needle to introduce it into the veins. He also managed the other part. The chemical was where I described it as being on Dr. Mesh's shelves. I even had the color of the bottle right. Now we must wait for the right time. 
Perhaps tonight I shall hide this book well. May 6. I am in fever. We did not manage until last night, and it took a very long time. I feel all steamy inside, and there is a dizziness. I am trying for anger and a disturbance. Miss Utz is watching from her desk, her eyes hot and bright. They will take me to the disturbed room. May 9. A few lines. I'm ill. Nothing seems to be working inside me, and the heat is such that my eyes see more brightness than shade. I'm in the disturbed room, and I've seen no one alive all day. I can hear the bearded man's whiny laugh, and once I heard him clap his hands. I think they are dead. They must be dead. We put the silver chloride in the saline solution and put the needle in my arm and let it all flow inside. When I was disturbed, they must have fed on me. If I rise up, I can see the toe of a female foot right at the door, and it's all curled and motionless. I can't see Dr. Mesh, but he must be there in the hall near Miss Utz. Dead of my poisoned blood, my fine and intricate blood. A new specific for vampires, silver blood. I wish this heat would go away. Three outside and two in here. I want there to be time for more. And welcome back. Ah, vampires. I do love some good vampires. They just scratch a certain itch, feel a certain taste for the Seaster Werewolf. Hmm. Does anyone else's wine taste a little tinny? No? Odd, that. Well, while I try to get that taste out of my mouth, here's something else I like from a friend of ours, Marshall Latham, who runs the Journey Into podcast. He's doing a Kickstarter. It ends this weekend, and he still needs your help, involving setting up science fiction and fantasy author Ken Scholes, with Edgar Allan Poe. Here, let me have Marshall explain it to you. Hello there. My name is Marshall Latham, and I'm the host and founder of the Journey Into podcast. And I'd like to tell you about my Kickstarter project. For many, many years, I have enjoyed the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Poe was one of the first American authors who attempted to make a living at writing short fiction. In doing so, he practically became the inventor of several of the genres of speculative fiction that we enjoy today. He's mostly known for such macabre tales as The Telltale Heart, and The Cask of Amontillado, and The Fall of the House of Usher. And of course, who can think of Edgar Allan Poe without thinking of his poem, The Raven? On the Journey Into podcast, I've had an annual Edgar Allan Poe month where I feature his tales, as well as stories inspired by his work. This year, I wanted to do something really special. Something I've always wanted to do is to commission a professional author to write a Poe-inspired tale. At the top of my wish list was author Ken Scholes. Ken is the award-winning and critically acclaimed author of over 40 short stories, 
and four novels in his five-book Psalms of Isaac series. I've enjoyed Ken's work for many years, and when I asked him if he'd be willing to write an Edgar Allan Poe story, he was all in. But I think Ken deserves to be paid professional rates for his work. And the only way for me to do that is to start a Kickstarter. And so if you go over to kickstarter.com and do a search for Poe meets Ken, you should find it there. You can take a look at the different donation options and the extra rewards that I've offered. It's a comparatively small goal of $560. So please check out this project. And if it's something you think you'd like, contribute however much you would like. If we're successful, Ken will write his story and then I'll produce it as a full cast audio production. Thanks for listening and journey on. Okay, thanks so much for that, Marshall. Feedback this week is for Marie Brennan's Ascent of Reason, read by Wilson Fowley. This was a driftwood story, that world where all the worlds come before coming to an end, and the comments we've received were generally positive. Devoted135 said, I liked both of the main characters and their unique take on living in such a crazy world. I feel like it would be so easy to despair or just subsist in a world where your home will be destroyed sooner than later. Yet, Last clearly has a strong desire to live, and the ingenuity to continue doing so. Meanwhile, Toliat has managed to retain a sense of curiosity and wonder. His reasons for having Driftwood are not grand, but rather whimsical. Also, it's hilarious that magical repelling stones are fine and dandy, but a hot air balloon? Nonsense. Such fun. Unblinking said, I enjoyed it. I've found Driftwood to be a fascinating setting in the three stories I've heard it. I like universes that allow a variety of worlds to be traversed in them, and this is the ultimate in that kind of setting. All those worlds are literally being crushed together so that in the intersections you can barely move without crossing from one to another. I like how the worlds have different physical laws. The idea of making a map is both appealing and completely pointless, considering the ever-changing layout, so good stuff. He also posted a list of other Driftwood stories, which is worth checking out. Thank you very much for those comments. Take a hot air balloon ride and a bloody cocktail all the way down to forum.escapeartist.net, where you can get in on the discussion and let us know what you thought of this week's episode. We've been dying to see you there. Sorry, it was very late when I wrote that. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors so we can bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. Thank you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, I'd like to thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in one week with a quirky tale of a dead Calvary man who maybe isn't so dead anymore and who has a very different kind of thirst he's trying to slake. Don't worry, he's not a vampire. Sorry, kind of a spoiler alert or anti-spoiler alert or whatever. But we'll see you then. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. 
Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote is from Philip K. Dick, who said, It is sometimes an appropriate response to reality to go insane. Flowing stream of the blood and tears 